Hey everybody, welcome on in to another edition of the Ramblin' Rabbi, our podcast that talks sports, some of the biggest stories in the sports world, and a thought for the week. Hope you are doing well and healthy. Hope you will enjoy. Stay a while, and as always, feedback is always appreciated. Feel free to let your friends, family know about what we've got going on here. Looking forward to a packed episode today. We'll be talking about the Deshaun Jackson scandal that has rocked not just the sports world, but the Jewish world, the uh, world in general. We'll be talking baseball, a preview of the NL East and the AL West. We'll also be talking a little basketball. So stick around. Hope you enjoy. This past week was a pretty hectic week in the world of sports, particularly in the NFL. Deshaun Jackson posted a couple of tweets that he incorrectly connected with Adolf Hitler, may his name be erased, that were very anti-Semitic in nature. And this caused quite a firestorm. And there are several things I'd like to talk about with this specific issue. First of all, within the Jewish community and then with uh, the greater community at large. Within the Jewish community, there were a lot of opinions, some saying, let's forgive him, others saying he should be cut right away. seems to be that there's a double standard. If this was a white player saying something against a black player, then this guy wouldn't have stood a chance. He would have been pilloried. Others are saying, give this guy the benefit of the doubt. He's ignorant. Here's my thought on, from a Jewish perspective, at least as as a Jewish community and a rabbi here, I think what he said was terrible. doesn't matter who it is associated with. Actually, it was really associated with a uh, pretty violent sect of these uh, black messianics that were actually responsible for the killing of multiple Jews in New Jersey a little while back. That's really who this was attributed to. But it doesn't matter. The point is what he said was inflammatory and very dangerous. And I don't think he should be cut. He did get fined. And I think what Julian Edelman did this past week was great. Great as a first start. Great as a first step. Saying, calling him out on the things he did or said or tweeted that was wrong. Can't post those things. Can't say those things. You're encouraging uh, and giving a platform to a very violent group of people, an anti-Semitic racist group, and they cannot have a platform, even if that's not what you meant. And therefore, as Julian Edelman, I'm just paraphrasing, encouraged him to have a dialogue with him, take him, Julian said, I'll take you to the Holocaust Museum in D.C., and then you, Deshaun, will take me to the African American Heritage Museum in D.C., and we'll have the difficult conversations. That's a really great step. But more than anything... Deshaun has to show remorse. And the way to show that he is truly remorseful is A, to call out and say it clearly that he is against anti-Semitism and racism, all of these, of any kind, and he stands as far away from it as possible. You have to acknowledge that, Deshaun. You have to do that. And then put in the time to get to learn about those communities that you've harmed with your inflammatory tweets. Again, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt to say he is ignorant on this 
and did not mean it in the way that it was taken. And the only way I, I guess that I will be proven right is if he actually goes through with spending time. I know that um, there was several tweets and posts about him meeting up with a Chabad rabbi and meeting up with a Holocaust survivor, etc. And that's the way to see if he's really serious about his apology and he's really serious about being remorseful for the things that he said slash tweeted. As far as a larger community, meaning within the American or the world in general, how many people actually saw it? And of those who did see it, how many of them were truly horrified to see that? I'd venture to say that many people did see it because if you're a sports fan, this was all over sports. And I know that um, several uh, news sites carried Julian Edelman's um, Instagram post inviting Deshaun to go to the Holocaust Museum and have the difficult conversations. So I think a lot of people did see it. But unfortunately, I'd venture to say that many people weren't horrified by it taken aback by it, as they are when it comes to racist kind of issues between black and white. And that's a terrible thing, because any kind is wrong. This is a a show and a podcast that's meant with sports, so I don't want to get political here. But I do want to say, because here's where sports and anti-Semitism really collided. And this was a really good litmus test to see, have we grown in our care for true justice and true equality? And the answer is, unfortunately, no. Several players did say something, guys like Zach Banner and Chris Long, a couple of the Jewish players in the league. I mentioned Julian Edelman. They did, and they said it, and they said it clearly, and they said it in no uncertain terms that we denounce this, it cannot be accepted, and we cannot say that this is okay, and only get upset when it relates to black and white issues. We need to be upset and stamp out any kind of systemic racism and anti-Semitism. But we only saw that from very few players. And all of the we'll call them social justice sports warriors, guys like LeBron and and company. Not a word, nothing, not a sound. And many of them will say behind closed doors, yes, we support the Jewish community, and yes, we're against anti-Semitism. But that does nothing, and it means nothing if you are not going to make it public. These guys have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of followers. And what they say to many of their followers is taken as almost, quote-unquote, the word of God. And this was a great opportunity and a very important opportunity for the statement to be made. And it wasn't made. And I think just to put a bow on it, if you will, and and kind of wrap this up, you got to call out the factions within the Black Lives Matter movement that is anti-Semitic. You can't allow that to happen. And you got to call out the anti-Semitism when you see it even if it's spread in ignorance, how much more so when it is in hate. All of us want to have a good life. All of us want to have a life of tolerance to our neighbors, to those that we know and those that we don't know. And the only way that that could happen is if we're serious about it on all fronts, not just the ones that are closest to home, but the ones that actually may be the most difficult for us to to stand up to the face of social pressure and say, no, we're not okay with that. While we're in the NFL or football, let's just pivot to 
college football and in college sports in general. I've said this uh, several times, and it looks like we're in serious trouble here with college sports. I'm really not sure how this is going to work. I saw that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are keeping just a conference-only play. How exactly does that solve the issues that are being presented with coronavirus? It's not. If you're playing with other teams, unless you're going to do what the NBA is doing and have everybody in a quote-unquote bubble, there's no way to say that you are going to calm the fears of the players, fans, uh, families, anybody who's nervous about getting coronavirus. Just playing within a conference might mitigate, but it's not going to nearly eradicate the chance of coronavirus being spread. And think about it. In some of these conferences, it's not like it's a short bus ride to the opposing team. You've got to take a plane. And even if they have private jets, just the idea of travel and playing against other players or other teams that are in other locations is still going to be an issue. I don't see how this is going to solve the problems. And again, this is going to have a major impact, not just on the sports side of thing, but as of course we know with sports, there's a lot of revenue that gets generated with sports. Some of these smaller towns are really going to suffer, and that is a real shame. Lots of these towns really, really rely on all of these athletics, and it's going to be interesting, and hopefully they find a way to make it through what's going to be a very difficult uh, end of summer and autumn and winter. So I hope that uh, these things can get sorted out. I just don't feel optimistic about college sports really getting underway. I think the NBA's model gives the best chance for there to be some type of organized professional sports by putting everybody in a bubble where it's possible and playing the games that way. I just don't see how college sports is going to be able to succeed in the way that they're going right now. Going to the NBA. So they're going to be playing in a bubble. We have the teams going out there. We've been seeing all these uh, players and the teams arriving to the hotels and to to Disney getting ready for the uh, league to start up here at the end of the month. And it's interesting to see, you know, Adam Silver, and we talked about him um, a couple of podcasts ago, being just an, he's really a great, great commissioner for the NBA. I think his ability to connect with the players and owners and always staying in contact is really to be commended. And again, I really don't like when politics and sports collide and become a platform for each other, but that's just the world that we live in. And he's allowing, Adam Silver has allowed players to put different statements, if you will, on the back of their jerseys. Here are the messages that the NBA and NBA PA, the Players Association, recently approved. Black Lives Matter, say their name, vote, I can't breathe, justice, peace, equality, freedom, enough, power to the people, justice now, say her name, si se puede, liberation, see us, hear us, respect us, love us, listen, listen to us, stand up, ally, anti-racist, I am a man, speak up, how many more, group economics, education reform, and mentor. I say all 29 of them because LeBron James says, 
that he will not have a social justice message on the back of his jersey. Why? As he says, no disrespect to the list that was handed out to all the players. I commend everyone that decided to put something on the back of their jersey. It's just something that didn't really seriously resonate with my mission, with my goal. End quote. Really, LeBron? Really? Look at all of your tweets. Look at all of your posts. Look at everything that you've said concerning social justice and racism and equality. How is that possible that not one of those things resonate with you and that he wish he could put a, a statement that he could have chosen instead of being restricted to the 29 messages? That to me, I don't buy that, LeBron. I don't buy that. That's ridiculous. To me, this is a money ploy and to be able to sell jerseys, etc. I find this to be hypocritical. And I'm a Laker fan, and I really want LeBron to win a championship for the Lakers. I love what he did with his school in Cleveland and giving kids a chance uh, from, from you know communities that are underserved. That's awesome and good for him. But it's becoming harder and harder to continue to give him the benefit of the doubt when these opportunities are there to make a statement, and he doesn't. He was silent when it came to Deshaun Jackson. Not a word. He's not putting on a social justice statement on the back of his jersey. Of all the players, I'm, uh, he would be the one that would make sense to do it. He's been very, very vocal. And yet when it comes time to put it on a jersey, you can't put it on a jersey. I have a hard time believing that. I just don't see what of those 29 does not resonate with him. I had a couple of things in mind, he, he says, but it, I wasn't part of that process, which is okay. I'm absolutely okay with that. It just feels kind of petty. I don't know what's going on here. Something just doesn't smell right. But LeBron James, I hope this is the only failure that you're going to give us Laker fans come the season slash playoffs because this is a big one. And this could have been a really big statement to make. And I feel like you have missed an opportunity here, which really is frustrating. As far as opportunity goes, this is going to be a very interesting NBA season or end of season. I think we've got all these Titans coming in like the Lakers and the Clippers or the Bucks. But I really wouldn't be surprised if because this has just gone so crazy with Corona and everything had just been turned upside down, that you may see some of these dark horses really put a run together, and it wouldn't su surprise me if someone like the Miami Heat actually ends up in the finals. It just wouldn't surprise me. Or somebody like the upstart Mavs, who just having so much fun uh, you know, in their hotel, making a run and, and making it to the finals. It really wouldn't surprise me. This season has been, just for about any sport, unprecedented, and therefore all bets are off. And it really can be anybody's championship to win. I'm going to move to baseball, uh, cover our last divisions here. We're going to look at the American League West, and we're going to look at the National League East. Let's start with the AL West. Let's look at the Angels, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I can't stand that name. They're the Anaheim Angels. As a Dodger fan, you ain't no Los Angeles Angels, but that's for another day. But the Angels... Picking up uh, Anthony Rendon, that was a big one uh, to go along with Mike Trout, who's by far the best player we have in baseball. Uh, they're going to make some noise. If that team, again, they really are a team that got bit by the injury bug last year. If they can stay healthy, uh, Shohei Otani, fantastic. Put some pieces around if they can with him. They've still got Pujols. They got Trout. They got Rendon. They have a good team. 
I don't think they're going to win the division. I think they'll end up as the number two, unfortunately behind the Houston cheating Astros. Um, They haven't lost much on that team. I know they lost Garrett Cole, but that team is still stacked. And uh, we'll see, you know, if you don't cheat anymore, then uh, how good are you? Um, But they definitely have the pieces to make another run at the ALS crown. I think the Astros are going to take the American League West. The Oakland Athletics, they do their small market, small ball, and uh, they're always a threat. They won 97 games last year. Um, You never know what this team, I'd say something a little less than that. I don't think they'll win 97 games. Obviously not because you only have 60, but I don't think as far as if you were to pare it down to what they would win in 60 games, I think it'll be less than what they're expecting. The Rangers out here in Texas picked up Corey Kluber and Todd Frazier. So I don't think they're throwing in the towel. They're going to be a team that contends. They're not going to be a team that wins. But I do think that they will contend. And I think the final team in that division will be the Seattle Mariners. They were a disaster last year. They did nothing this year. So look for more of the same. Not a good product on on the baseball field. They're going to finish last. So for the AL West, I've got the Astros the Angels, the Rangers, the Athletics, and Mariners finishing in that order. And um, the team that benefited the most, actually, from this huge layoff is definitely the Houston Astros because they were going to get beaned by by every team. No question they would have been booed like crazy to any baseball diamond they went to. And we saw that already beginning for the couple of, you know, spring league games that they had. And uh, with empty stadiums, they are by far going to benefit the most. And it feels like years ago when Houston was uh, finally given the very, in my opinion, pretty light punishment for cheating their way through the World Series. Let's take a look at the NL East. Got the um, Braves, Mets, the Nats, the Phillies, and the Marlins. The Braves got... They uh, got they lost Josh Donaldson to free agency. They did pick up Marcelo Zuna. But they also got Will Smith. And I think these two guys, if they can turn back the clock a little bit, are really going to provide them a huge boost, which is Cole Hamels and Felix Hernandez. They have a very strong starting rotation. They have so much young talent around the diamond and, and you know, in the outfield, great at the plate. I mean, just loaded. They're going to win the NL East. I would be shocked if they do not. The Atlanta Braves should be uh, winning the NL East, and I think they actually will be a strong, strong contender for the NL uh, pennant. The Mets, they've got Jacob deGrom, who's the reigning Cy Young Award winner. They got Noah Syndergaard. They picked up Rick Porcello. If he can go back a couple years, stay healthy. They've got Dylan Bettences that they picked up uh, through free agency. And again, if they can stay healthy, they've got some young talent too. They've got uh, the polar bear, if you will, the first baseman, and, and he's you know, coming off a home run derby title. And not just a home run hitter, he's a great hitter. This team could make some noise, uh, but they really got bit by the bug last year, the injury bug. If they stay healthy, they give the Braves a run. I still think, though, the Braves are too stacked to really, it's their division to lose. The Nats are the defending World Series champions, and I don't even know if they're going to be second. They may finish third in their division. Yes, they've got Strasburg. They've got Max Scherzer. Mad Max is awesome. Maybe the best pitcher right now in baseball. And plenty of 
help as far as offense goes, including this young phenom Juan Soto, who's only 21 years old. So they're going to be good again. They've got the experience. They've got the moxie. I don't know, though, if they can beat the Braves for this division. The Phillies, they've got Bryce Harper, of course, signed them to that massive contract. They've got Didi Gregorius, who they added along with Zach Wheeler. I don't know if this team is strong enough. They also have some good young talent, but I don't think that this team is going to be strong enough for the, even though it's a shortened season, I don't think they will go toe-to-toe with the Braves for the full 60 games. I do think they will uh, be in contention towards the end, but um, I, I wouldn't say, even though they do have Bryce, who's you know a generational talent, I just don't see the Phillies coming out of the NL East. And of course, in the basement, and maybe one of the worst teams in baseball is the Miami Marlins, who everybody loves to play against. Yes, they picked up Jonathan Villar, Corey Dickerson, and former Dodger Matt Kemp, but uh, this team... It's definitely a couple years away from uh, beginning to contend. So from the NL East, I've got the Braves. I'm going to put the Nationals, then the Mets, Phillies, and Marlins. And that is your projections for the AL West and the NL East. Here is your thought for the week. This week's Torah portion talks about vows, taking a vow, and the importance of the spoken word and how important it is to be careful. The sanctity of our words, as it says, and Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes, if a man takes a vow, he shall not desecrate his word. Whatever issues from his mouth, he shall do. Words and promises are very, very important. If we disregard what we say and we treat our words as nothingness, we've desecrated and profaned them. And this is particularly important as we see here in the verse we just quoted, to the heads of the tribes. How often have we seen politicians make promises they don't keep? How often do we see people guarantee things that they cannot follow through to? It's just not acceptable. And we can't be gullible to believing the words that we hear that are so often never kept to. And it's really important when you're talking from an ethical perspective and a moral perspective, to think about the words that we say. Think about the pledges that we make. And not just us, but those around us, leaders, whether it be in sports, whether it be in politics, whether it be in family, the things that we say are very, very important. And we have to remember that we have to keep to the words that we say. My father always said, a man is only as good as his word, and it's so true. That's very important to keep in mind that when we say something, we should think about what we're saying, especially if it's a pledge or a promise, that if it's something we're not going to be able to do, then don't say it. And if it's something that you are going to be able to do, then say it with conviction. And if you're not sure, then make sure that's part of the stipulation as well. You've got to be clear with the words that you use, the things that you say. We all have good intentions, but we know the saying, the road to uh, hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions are great, but they got to be able to be carried through. So when we say something, we need to make sure that we can follow through on the words that we say, how much more so with our actions. And uh, I think if we would do that, if people around us, people in power, 
in all places where to be able to do that, I think this world would be a much better place because the words we would use would be authentic, would be true, would be kind, and would be meaningful. Wishing you all a wonderful week. See you again on Sunday.